Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sara Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host Sara Davison shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sara Davison. Welcome back to the show. Now today, my guest is Baroness Helen Newlove. Helen is relatable, real and inspiring. Just a few words I would use to sum up the parliamentary peer, campaigner and former victims commissioner. On the 12th of August 2007, Helen's world fell apart when her husband Gary was fatally attacked by a gang of teenage yobs on the family doorstep. Known for her warm and approachable nature, Baroness Newlove is a renowned keynote and after-dinner speaker, having spoken before the United Nations government committees and regularly in the House of Lords in the UK. Her life-enhancing speeches leave audiences transfixed. Helen's message is always one of courage, determination and hope as she describes how she fought tooth and claw for justice and spurred on her loving daughters to strive in the face of adversity. So I am super excited to welcome Baroness Helen Newlove to the show. Welcome, Helen. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, I'm really delighted to have this. I love chatting, so I'm really looking forward to our session together. Oh, thank you so much. It's gonna be fantastic. Now. Obviously, I know all about your story and a lot of the episodes we're doing in this series, too, are talking about pain to power. And boy, have you had your fair share of pain. It's such an inspiring story. For those people who aren't sure, Helen, what you've been through, please, would you share what's happened to you? I could talk for hours about other things as well. But yeah, in 2007, I um, fortunately lost my late husband, Gary Newlove. He went out to see what uh, antisocial behaviour was going out, damaging my next door neighbour's um, front garden. She was uh, a young woman on her own. Her husband had gone to work in a way. And he left that door and never came back in the house because what had happened in the meantime, um, my daughters had heard all these noises and they'd run out with him as, a, as they always do. We're a very close family. And they he'd walked in to a gang, really, a gang of people. He was a third attack on the night of this gang, which we found out after the event. But basically, they kicked and punched him to death. It's something that you see on films, but you never think you'd go through yourself. And of course, on films, on video games, you can stop that, can't you? And that's what it felt like when I... Amy came in to ask me to go out and to phone the emergency. It was kind of blurry emergency services. And I thought, what am I phoning the emergency services for? And then I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to get in trouble <laughs> phoning them up. And I went out and that's when completely um, our life was completely torn apart. Where Gary was on the floor, he'd been attacked by these youths, kicked. And he'd only asked one simple question, who damaged the garden and my car. He was barefooted. It was summer's evening. And... You know, my daughters were working on his body, he was on CPR, pulling his tongue out, he was covered in blood. Mm. And it was just one of them occasions where you think, no, no, I'm going to wake up in a minute. And our life completely changed. And, you know, I call my daughters my heroines now because to see what pain they were going on that night to try and help the dad who had been 
viciously kicked in the back um, and his head. Uh, and when the ambulance arrived, it was just absolutely, um, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And then I went to the hospital and 48 hours later, we had to turn, I had to turn his um, life support machine off because his uh, brain was just dangling. Um, there was no connection was by a tiny, tiny bit. The brain's very clever. And even though when they put him on a life support machine, I thought he was fighting the ventilator. It wasn't actually what they were concerned about because it wasn't his brain. And they said it was, you know, um, he was hemorrhaging um, while we were there. His brain, he was just, he's just bleeding internally on the brain. So um, the saddest thing as well is that he was in there for stomach cancer at 32 and he was in the same intensive care unit. He thought then he was going to die because Gary wore glasses and he could, they took him off him and he couldn't see. And he didn't believe it wasn't me crying because he'd heard somebody crying. And that's what brought my heart as well to think, you know, all them years later, he'd fought so hard to get, you know, stomach cancer is very aggressive. And uh, he lost his way that way. So yeah, I would never wish anybody to, to have to do that. It's, um, just immense you know to think hands and feet can do that uh, it's just it's just I just cannot even today contemplate in my hand how you could do that I mean it's just shocking and so unexpected completely out the blue how old were your daughters at the time Helen at the time Amy was 12 Danielle was 15 oh. and Zoe was 18 and you know for me to have to how they coped it was kind of I became the child when I ran out and they became the mothers uh, and they were completely uh, brilliant on the night. You just don't think it can happen. And the violence, the level of violence that they saw was horrific, yeah. uh, you know, and as I say, Gary just asked one simple question. And even the chaplain in the hospital, who I have recently met actually, where, with, um, where my mum was in hospital, he had to walk away. He was so upset and angry and that's a man of the cloth. The staff were in tears, so it showed you the, um, the the depth of his injuries and everything. It was he was too ill to be moved to the Walton head injury um, ward. It was too, it was too much for him to move. Even moving him around the corner was very dangerous for his you know the situation. So it was very very awful. Forty eight hours to go through, and just you know I just wanted him to live. Oh goodness! Well, thank you for sharing that. I can't imagine how painful it is. Just a uh to tell that story again and the pain and trauma you went through and your daughters. Yeah. So, I mean, thank you. So sharing that story, obviously the pain is immense, the trauma and the fallout from that, just the shock as well as the, the grief going through that and the huge life change suddenly you're all thrown into. What got you through those early days? You talked about your daughters turning into the mothers. How else did you cope? How did you get through those early days? If I'm really honest, I think it was a blur. Your body just goes into a coping mechanism, but you're not really there. It felt much, you know, that everything was going on around me. Of course, my sister was great. All the family were great. Um, you know, because, you know, all the meantime, while I'm in hospital, my daughters had to be, you know, they had to take the clothes off for, you know, for DNA, for evidence. They were interviewed constantly. And of course, then there's the court procedure in the back. And uh, it was just, 
immense in a sense you know I couldn't sleep so the, the doctor gave me some sleeping tablets you know you're just on like walking in jelly if you get my mean and it's because it was national and global headlines there was lots of people coming in and out and I think my background of working in the courts helped to a degree but it's it's definitely not what you read in the papers it is constant you know because at the side of that you've got I've got three daughters who they're looking at me for help and they're looking they're worried about me and vice versa and they had to give you know ID parades the system was terrible they call viper parades so it's not you see just like we are headshots and they were grieving as well you know they just lost their father so for me, it was just a blur of in and out. And I have to say, you know, you get all the hierarchy coming in. You know, the chief constable comes in. But I do remember I didn't give them any, you know, I'd give him what for because we'd previously to, to losing Gary, the community was suffering from lots of antisocial behaviour. People were urinating up your fences. It was horrendous. And it was a lovely neighbourhood. You know, I've been there since I was 18. And we'd moved there to really help my mum and dad. But the level of antisocial behaviour was just escalating. Um, the, so there was a community group set up, which I didn't go with Gary. I went with my neighbour and Eric. And, you know, we went to all these meetings. And it's just, you know, you go from a whiteboard to a white piece of paper. You've got people saying, you, young people, I've got nothing to do. But the setting fences on fire, everything like that. And, it, you know, people are working hard to, you know, your, your car was damaged every weekend. And Gary was forever pacing up and down. And the last event, you know, it was just ridiculous. And I said, nothing will happen until somebody, you know, loses their life is a murder. And little did I know. So for me, it was, you know, it was just a blur. So to have a lot all these heads of agencies didn't wash with me because it was too little too late. Um, so but the, the support of the Warrington people was tremendous. You know, they did, I didn't know them, they didn't know me, but the amount of support I got from them, um, it was just amazing. And that'll never leave me, really. That was just, that was at the best that you could see people who were there to help and support you. And that sometimes is one of the silver linings of these scenarios that you see so many people coming forward and even friends that you sort of know, but don't know that well, step forward. I know during my yeah. own situations over the years with the divorce and other things that I've been through, People sometimes step up and really surprise you and you don't expect. And that means a lot, doesn't it? That support from even total strangers can actually help. We just get. Oh, amazing. You know, from, you know, from elderly people and, you know, you're going about the Royal Mail now, but they, I got, you know, I got so many letters from people and I cannot thank them enough because they were strangers, but the words meant that, you know, you weren't on your own. Even though you have family support, it's just that, added on you know the yeah. family support and of course we had family liaison officers uh, who are now good friends you know they and I have to say you know fabulous with the girls because the girls never believed me they thought oh mum's protecting us it's not whatever where actually um they would listen to Chris and um, for me that was so important for the girls to feel that you know I wasn't keeping them out of the picture uh, and protecting them it was actually the process yeah and and what happened with the justice behind all this? How, how, did you get justice for your case? And, and have things changed now in the community, do you feel? Um, that's an interesting question, actually, because, you know, there, there was many court hearings. There were juveniles. Um, you know, they'd had to ram raid a house around the corner from where we lived. That's where they were all were and covered in blood. So you learnt lots of things. 
but um, I never went to the court because I was I gave um, a witness statement. But family went, and it and even for them it was surreal because it was youth. You know, you just couldn't imagine it. Uh, but I, you know, I have I've had faith in the justice system. I'd worked in the justice system, so I knew the process, and the police were very very good. But it's when it comes to you sitting there and having no control and it's just unbelievable because we were told how to behave my girls had to give evidence so we had to give evidence she was treated as an adult um because she's 18 so she gave evidence but with screens around around her right. but if them defendants could have got in the box with her they treated like they'd gone to the pictures uh, and my daughters gave evidence, my two young, young ones, but I couldn't go and give them a hug. I couldn't actually say, you'll be fine. They went in at nine o'clock in the morning and we got to half three um, before they came to Amy, who was 12. You know, she was traumatised, grieving. Her sisters wow. had left her because they can't go back in because they've given evidence and she might they might persuade her to say something. And, um, you know, that it got quite late. And I have to say, the judge was was wonderful and he did say that you know is it too late for amy shall we get it out of the way but he would only ask he'd only ask me but I was made away by the police officers that the defense could object to it her coming home because we'd seen the evidence in the court i just thought this was bonkers and i would have done contempt of court because she was absolutely you know she hadn't slept for months on end yeah. and uh, and these are the bits you don't see within the courtroom and in the end, um, we did adjourn, and but you just cannot you, that human human side's lost um, this legal arguments. And I have to say, before the court started, there was legal arguments where I I and it was suicidal because I just felt it was a circus. You know, I, I, I talked to Gary's ashes, and I just said, you know, we're letting you down, and we had to move house. You know, so there was a lot of other stuff going on that the justice system doesn't pick up. It's a process that you have to follow. Um, and of course, victims, you know, the families don't have any legal representation for themselves. It's a prosecutor who's not there for you, he's for the state. So I was amazed because obviously I had true faith and worked in it as to how very little without, you know, family offices or whatever giving the right communication, you have very little support within the criminal justice system. I think these are great points because they're things that people don't really think about behind the scenes. You see it playing out on the news, um, but you don't actually see what's going on behind the scenes. So, gosh, yeah. I mean, no, and it's also the practical skill, you know, the practical side of it, Sarah. You know, you're still going to pay your bills. Gary was the main breadwinner. You know, you, none of that is paid. And and if you're in got your own home, it's not like the council or benefits will kick in and help you. Uh, you've still got to pay what you do, you know, and I'm not saying the companies weren't very, uh, you know, they were very empathetic to what was going on, but that's the practical side of it, you know, and the girls' education was lost because they were struggling as well. Um, so, yeah, so all that is going on. We had a 10-week court trial, and so it was horrific. It was horrific for people not to see that other side of, you know, just what they see in the papers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... I'm really interested in having gone through all that pain, all that trauma, which is dragged out, obviously, through the court process. And then being a mum to three girls who obviously are still recovering as you are and supporting them through this. Was there a defining moment where you said, you know what, I'm going to harness this and I'm going to use this to do good? Or was that a slow process? But I mean, I know you went from, you know, you, you describe yourself as a shy housewife 
And now you're, you know, a campaigner, you're very vocal, you've achieved so many amazing things, as I talked about in the bio, when I introduced you, you know, that there's such a long way you've come. Was there a defining moment where that was like, came to you? Or was this just progress over a period of time? I think I was, it was a progress of time and being very lucky, in a sense of, I didn't have a vision. And it, it it only really hits you, which we've, you know, we've just recently had the the young, you know, the young girl in Liverpool case that's come to the yes. court. And it always makes me, you know, you see about it. But it once the court case and the sentencing and everything else is over, it's the loneliest place to be in because that's when you shut the door. That's when everybody goes away. And that's when your life has to begin. And um, for me, it was people saying, what do you want to do? Do you want to do anything? And the press officer at Cheshire, Jackie Hansen, was brilliant because obviously media were interested to do documentaries. And it was the next day when Sky News were looking at gangsters and everything. And, I, you know, if you've got a question. So, you know, I said, so why don't you send a question? And then I became headline news. And then Jackie said, what have you done? You know, I said to the press, you're very quiet, you need time. And I said, well, I just, so I had no vision. What I did have is that I needed focus to be on what I always said and I did say that Gary would never be a statistic because the human side in our criminal justice system isn't there it's it's very very hit and miss and the damage and the trauma can be re-traumatizing within that system so for me um that thankfully Warrington Walls Foundation helped me to launch um Warrington you know New Love Warrington the girls did the logos so it kind of progressed from that and I made documentaries because I wanted to understand um, why this was happening why was you know it was alcohol then and antisocial behavior and so I did want to do my homework on that and I was very honored you know very privileged to be able to do that but there does come a time when you think well where do I go with this you know I've never opened a charity never done this I'm a legal PA and I, I knew I didn't want to open a charity because that's a lot of work to do but I also had to um, think about, well, I'm the main breadwinner and you can only do so much for so much. And it's either do I go back to the old style or how do I go, go it? I'm very fortunate because during that time I received an email from David Cameron. I'd, I'd had, you know, I'd had communications from Gordon Brown. And then I got an email from David Cameron, who I thought, why would he email me? And um, so I reported him to Cheshire Police. <laughs> Actually, I said to Jackie, somebody's portrayed to be David Cameron, who wasn't, you know, he wasn't prime minister then, he was in opposition. So this okay. is not, you know, some somebody's doing something. And it turned out to be actually it was David Cameron. It was a private email address. So that's how we started our friendship. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, I was I'm very open and honest to him. And I think he laughs at me because I'm quite straightforward. And so, yeah, so that's where I came in the politics side. But the, the one thing I wanted to do um, for the girls was a radio station because Gary was a DJ, loved music and they, you know, they loved it. And I was very privileged to be able to work with the community in Warrington, open, you know, New Love FM and work with the students at the, at the college. And we've got mobile uh, DJ decks and everything like that. And um, we, you know, for New Love FM was on for two weeks on the air because it's very costly for radio licenses and everything. Yeah. And um, so that gave some energy to the girls, you know, so we did the breakfast show. Um, we had lots of college students coming in making cakes and it was fabulous. We had some of the professionals from the radio stations. 
So, you know, it, it, I, I think it just progressed and I was very lucky to have that support behind me and people with experience to support what we wanted to do because it did hit the nation. It did, you know, Amy's letter that she wrote while Gary was in hospital. You know, she, we were going on holiday and she said, you know, I'll put the sun cream on dad because he was a sun worshipper. I just need you to get better and I'll look after you and everything. I think that really touched the nation. So, you know, but it did come to a, a crossroads where I thought, that's, I'm going to have to go and get, you know, a really back to normal. But I knew I couldn't do that. Uh, and I was fortunate that David Cameron asked me to take a seat in the House of Lords. And that's when it completely changed again. Yeah. So what opportunities did you get from there? Because you've had so many achievements over the years. What do you what do you feel your biggest achievements? And and is that how they were open to you with the House of Lords? Hi, it's Sarah Davison here, the Divorce Coach. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. I just wanted to let you know about a free gift I've got for you, which I know will help you if you're struggling with your breakup or divorce right now. I'd like to offer you a free week's membership of my Heartbreak to Happiness online support group sessions with unlimited access to any of the groups during this time. So what are they? Well, these are friendly and confidential online support groups run by my accredited coaches. I've designed them to ensure that you know you're not alone and there is help and support out there to help you cope better. One delegate, Jane, said after her first session, I can't believe how much better I feel in just one hour. Another delegate, Wendy, said, My friends and family are so fed up of hearing me talk about this, and now I finally feel like I've found my tribe. I've designed these sessions so you'll meet other people going through similar situations, and you'll be able to share your story in a safe space. My specialist coaches are all trained personally by me and are there to offer support and help to enable you to dial down those negative emotions and let go of your ex. So I wanted to make a special offer to all my podcast listeners, which is a three weeks access to this unique support. It means that you will have access to as many support sessions as you would like to attend in a week. And we've got lots of days and different times to choose from. This is a great way to start to take your power back and help you feel more empowered. Remember, as I always say, it's not what happens to you that defines you, it's what you do about it that makes you the person you are. So sign up now at www.saradavison.com forward slash support group. That's saradavison.com forward slash support group to claim your free gift and to move from your heartbreak to happiness. And is that how they were open to you with the House of Lords? The House of Lords I was fascinated about because I love law and I always wanted to be a barrister, but I never got to it. I could never do that kind of that work. I suffer from fibromyalgia, so it's fatigue is always a big hitter. But I think when I went in there, I had... Um, at first, I did feel an imposter. 
I felt that, you know, I don't speak with a plum in my mouth. You know, you read all the books, you see everything in the robes. And I, and I just thought, oh, this is, you know, they're going to stop me any minute and say, you know, you don't, you're not around, you're from here. <laughs> but actually, um, you know, it, it's the most amazing place to work in, the most respectful place to work in. And we're all from different well size and, you know, everything across the country in politics. But, you know, I've learned so much from so many people and I get so passionate about the House of Lords now on the negative press of it is that um, I'm very grateful to David Cameron to give me that opportunity. But it, yes, I've got a title. I'm a peer in the House of Lords, but that doesn't give you, you know, you, at that stage, I was one of the young ones. But, you know, it doesn't give you a salary. I still got to pay a mortgage, you know, and everything. So there is this perception that, you know, we're cracking on. And I, I just said, I need a job. I can't, very nice, but there's no way I can come into London. I couldn't find, you know, I couldn't afford to do that because I need I need to have a, an income to be able to bring up, you know, and, and look after my daughters. And so it, the uh, antisocial behaviour champion was uh, given to me because, um, you know, I'd, got, I'd gone through the experience, the advice, and antisocial behaviour and alcohol was a big, problem across the country in 2010 when David became prime minister yeah yeah it's huge and then obviously you went on became the victims commissioner as well tell us a little bit about that role because that is something that is just so inspiring for so many people yes I I'm very uh, you know I was very passionate and I think we've all got a purpose in life it's just been able to find that purpose at some stage where I think we've got so many layers to us that we don't use a lot we're very lazy with the brain aren't we so if you think about it but I think for me it was once I learned about the process in the house of lords and it is about learning it's about listening um for me there was always this issue about victims and also a lot of colleagues would ask oh well, how come you're in the house of lords you know where did you watch your background and you get a mentor in the House of Lords who was Prime Minister Trish Morris of Bolton and um, who was a friend. And she was behind me one day when, when with this, I think it was the next Home Secretary many years ago. And I said, oh, you know, my, my husband was murdered antisocial behaviour. And it's kind of like, it's a stop a conversation, doesn't, doesn't really make, oh, right, okay. Well, how do you respond? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and I, I just felt this nudge in my back. And she said, if I hear you saying that once more, she said, yes, that's your journey and past it, but it's here because of your voice. So, you, you know, I'm not having this. It's because of what you've done. It's what Helen's done. Um, and so from that day on, you know, that did flip it to be it. So victims were, you know, I could hear a lot of people saying about victims. There was nobody there accountable. And the Victims Commissioner role was made just before Gordon Brown stood down. And, um, and Louise Casey was actually the first one who's now Baroness Casey, actually, in the House of Lords. But she'd left that post to do trouble families. And so I was passionate that, you know, victims were left again. And so I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And I applied for the role when it came available. And, uh, you know, when you say to your kids, you know, you, when you go for an interview, you're as good as anybody. You go in there, your head held high. It's different with civil service, how they, there's like five of them, you know, and all from experience. And you've got a five minute presentation and you can't go off it. It was so pressurized. I have to say that once it finished, I went across the road where there's a pub and had the biggest glass of wine going. And I, said, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I was 50 and thinking, oh my God, I'm dying here. 
Um, but yeah, so, you know, for me, that was an honor. I had to set up an office because there was no office. Um, so I learned about setting up a team. Uh, so that took three years of fighting and challenging. And, you know, you're not going to treat me like it's uh, anything. Um, and uh, finally, you know, the last three years in my post, because you can only do two terms. I was there seven years in total. Um, was really fascinating to get in and get into the nitty gritty of it. It's um, a privilege to have been a victims commissioner and I still look after victims now. Um, but yeah, to, to do that role was amazing to learn about, you know, being reports, talking to the heads of agencies, going into the Royal Courts of Justice in the offices, talking to Lord Chief Justice. Also, I've been in the Royal Courts of Justice as, you know, fighting for Gary on appeal. So I've seen it from both angles. Yeah. Um, and changing, you know, changing how ministers look at policy of victims, uh, to looking at the victims code, to work on that. Uh, very important that they make their statements, which we hear more of now, victim impact statements. Um, you know, so for me, these little things that I'm proud of, criminal injury compensation, um, you know, tribunals for mental health, um, getting that, get their victims impact statements there. So it's been a journey of, of really being privileged to speak to a lot of victims. And then the most really recently is working on the domestic abuse bill and fighting to get non-fatal non strangulation on the face of the bill because it's such horrific what happens and it's just overlooked um, because most people, most, mostly women in domestic abuse relationships do not realise they've been strangled. It's only when they further down the line, either they die from a stroke or a blood clot to the brain or they then have problems with their bladders and bowels and um, it's never then treated, it's only treated as an assault in a court. So, they, so now it is um, part of the, the rule of law and it's got its own charge and perpetrators are being charged with that because it's horrific what they do as a control to you know the, the victim. Absolutely and I mean that's a huge step forward and I think you know, domestic abuse now is, I mean, obviously it's something that's very close to, to my heart as well. And, you know, there's there's so many areas of this that need light shining on it, aren't there? And, and it and it has been a struggle, I think. You know, I campaign as well and behind the scenes that, you know, sometimes we put things forward and letters don't get answered or they're pushed aside or with all the changes anyway in the cabinet recently, it's very hard to to get yeah. progress so you know absolutely you know hats off to yeah, you it's very frustrating and I quite agree with you you know we've got reshuffles we've got everything and it's like you know you do 10 steps forward and 50 back and it was a challenge and you know I did have to call a vote in the house of lords and you know and I'm a conservative peer so it's a big thing to do but I was put in the house of lords for the voice that and the victims I represent and that's what David actually said to me I want somebody like you in there that is you know true so I've always kept that and um, politics is, is completely different, but I think politics is, you know, begins with peace. And I think that's for people. It should never be just about policies. And legislation is for the professionals to pick up. It's about delivering them actions to make people feel safe in their own homes. You know, we've got economic domestic abuse, you know, but it's not just domestic abuse. It rips people's lives up and, you know, and the brutality of it all is just absolutely horrendous. And to them survivors that have given the time to tell me their story, you know, they're true heroines themselves because, you know, it's everybody presumes, well, they go back. Well, it's not just going back. Um, it, it's absolutely, where, where would you like them to do? You know, that there is, you know, there's children, there's, it's their home, what are they supposed to do? And um, 
So I went, I'm really proud. And there was a team behind me. And only last, I think it was two weeks ago, that there was a launch for the Institute of Non-Fatal Strangulation, which is similar to the one that we're going to have, they have in America. And um, so really proud because there's a lot of work still to do on that and research. But at least now we have it, you know, we have a legal duty now to recognise that as an injury in domestic abuse. I mean, so inspiring. Your story is just incredible. And the changes you're making are real and they are benefiting women around the country. So, you know, thank you so much for turning that into your power. Having been through so much trauma, Helen, how are you now? Are there things that you still, you know, do you have support? And were there things that have really helped you deal with the trauma? Because trauma can reside in the body for quite a while. So, Obviously, I know yeah. you've moved on, you're happy now and you've remarried and yeah, your daughters are doing well. Tell us a little bit about, about how you manage that. Because I know a lot of people listening will be thinking, gosh, how has she managed to, to deal with that? Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm not saying it's been easy. And I think, I think we can all, you know, if we represent somebody, we can always push that person. When it comes to us as an individual, we're still very cagey. We don't know what to do. I find this as my therapy and... I get, I still get very angry. They're just, we've got a long way to go. The justice system is not fit for purpose. And, you know, and everything's now blamed on the pandemic, but actually it was, it was issues before the pandemic. We're now seeing everybody erupting that, you know, the, the legal people are going on strike. It just doesn't work. And, in, and for me, at the end of all that, victims are not having their voices. We're not giving confidence to do that. So for me, I find that, you know, um, I will, that's my therapy, how I deal with it through my trauma, because my trauma is inside, but it also powers myself, powers me, energizes me um, to actually go out there and say, this is not right, this is not acceptable. And, you know, I, I, we've got lots of agencies that are still not doing what they're supposed to do. And then to be fair to them, you know, the finance, the government have put them right back. And I just find at the moment that. You know, it doesn't sit well with me that, you know, we're getting all these statements which are absolutely got no depth to them whatsoever. And the amount of money may seem a lot to a lot of people. But when you dissect it, it doesn't mean a lot of, of to, you know, uh, to um, the, the, the volunteers and to the charities. You know, we've still got police inspectorates finding huge amounts of faults. Uh, you know, and I go around and it, people email me and they've not had the basic rights that they're supposed to do. Uh, and they're still investigating their own, victims are still investigating their own cases. And, and I just think it's, you know, how can we can take like a jumper back to Marks and Spencers and think nothing twice of getting a credit or whatever against something else. But when it comes to actually something that's so, so horrendous, it takes, you know, it's like, it's really, apart from giving your DNA, um, you really are up against it all the time. So for me, it's, you know, where have we lost that in society? So, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. I, you know, I have remarried um, and, you know, and my girls are my priority uh, and they suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, all of them. And, but at the end of the day, I think if they see mum doing what she's doing, um, it gives them hope as a woman, as women individually, um, not to lose faith because, you know, they were children when they listened to the legal system. Now they're women. Yeah. And now they're having a voice and saying, you know, I don't understand it. Um, and for me, I just think society as a whole, we need to value life. We never value human life and, and it's never valued within the court system. Um, it's always about giving the offender a second chance. 
But when you take an individual's life uh, through no fault of their own, that seems to be dismissed. And mm. I think it's the wrong way around because if we don't value humanity, we don't value the system that's there to protect us, doesn't value that, well, we're up against nothing then because it's a matter of just evidence. And as long as we can prove it, the barristers from one to the other, they've done their job. But actually, that's wrong because it can happen to anybody. Um, and life is precious and we should make it the best we can. And we should recognise if you take a life, um, you're not going to get a slap on the wrist. Absolutely. Powerful words, Helen. Powerful and, and so inspiring. I know that you're now doing your own coaching business, which I'm very excited about because I think, and especially the name of it. So share a little bit about that so people know what you're doing and also how we can find that and get in touch with you on that. Yeah, no, um, thank you for, for bringing that. It's, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm doing my pro vice chancellor at the University of Bolton. I love working with my students. And I think it was during the pandemic where you, you look at life and we're all, you know, we're all sat and thinking because it's a headache, you know, packing cases. I'm constantly in London, you know, 13 years of it. And it made me realise, and, 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 you know, Sarah, you're probably the same. We just do these things. We just, because we're passionate about it. We, we, you know, it's hard some days, but other days you get back up and, you, you know, you, you really are determined. And it made me realise how much I'd achieved personally. You know, when you look back at this and people yeah. look in and say, you know, I remember this, or, you know, you've written a book and all this. I think, oh my God, I've actually done it. Me, I've done this. And I mean, to bring this all together and I want to now become a coach to help other women who, you know, whatever in corporate, because I think the pandemic has made us all realise, and I think there's an area of women, you know, 40 plus, that, you know, you've got life, you've got either had to give up, you know, for bringing your children, or you've just not had them opportunities to be what you want to be. And the system always puts us in age groups, doesn't it? You know, if you don't fit the age group, or you don't fit the intelligence, oh, we you know, we'll abide it. And I think it's breaking away from... That, that, you know, I, I don't want anybody to go through trauma, but I think it's not, not just, I don't want to just deal with trauma. I just want people to know that you've got so much power within you that, you know, from the day we're born, really, we've got this energy that, you know, the universe gives so much power to us. But because the system kind of has us leading like sheep, or, you know, you don't follow it. Uh, and that's where the class divide and everything like that. It's about bringing, enhancing all that, you know, the goodness within it. And I want to help women to look at their vision, what they want to do. And if they feel they can't do it, well, actually you can, if you follow this formula, you just allow yourself to breathe and do it at your pace. Because the, the words of advice I got when I went to the House of Lords was take small steps, because what it can do, it can vacuum you in and it takes all that passion, that energy, and actually you lose sight of it. That's why they call it the Westminster Village. And that's the one thing I've never done. I've never believed I'm better than anybody. I'm believed, uh, you know, I'm, I'm honoured, but it's a job. I wasn't there just to sit and do nothing. And that's why I became a deputy speaker was to learn about legislation. But it's also to inspire people that um, have never had that, that support. So, you know, as a coach, a leadership coach on personal development, we have skills and I've been there, I've seen it. And as you say, you know, pain is power. Our scars, our wounds make us reflect. And actually I can do this. And, but the only way I can do it is getting support and maybe listening, listening and helping and just giving you that open doorway as I've been given. So that's what I want to do. So the mouse that now rolls is the title of my coaching. 
I, I love that. The mouse and now rules. Yeah, I, and th that to me is really reflects who I am today in that it was from before we lost Gary, I was very, leave it or not, very quiet. You know, I, don't get me wrong, I loved a good argument. I wasn't mother's, I'm not Mother Teresa and Gary wasn't the Pope. <laughs> but for me, you know, I, you know, I just I love the job I did in law, and it's when I lost Gary, my uncle said, "My word, our Helen, you know, now is um, like the mouse now roars because she was so quiet in the background because Gary was the social butterfly, you know, he was the jokey, you know, and everything, and it's just really stuck with me. So that's what I see with a lot of women is that you absorb, you absolutely have got the energy within you. It's just giving you that space and that opportunity to actually think, you know what, I can do this. Um, as I've done, I've learned lots of things because it was the unknown to me. And so the mouse does now roar. And um, for me, now I want to give them skills that I've learned to help other women to step up and use their pain for power or their fear as power to esteem to what they want to be. Yeah, I mean, such a, an incredible message and one that I totally am behind because the same for me. I went through a very tough divorce and it came out of an abusive relationship, everything that follows that, like you, and turning that pain into your superpower where you can then use that to create change, to help people, to make a positive difference. Like you said for you, it's great therapy for us, right? And it actually helps other people too. And I think there's you know, nobody better to be coached by than somebody like you, Helen, who's actually walked in those shoes, been really to hell and back and experienced all that trauma, but come out stronger. And I think that's an, an empowering message for anyone to hear that you know, adversity sometimes can make you stronger, but it's how you do that. And having a coach like you by, by their side, I think is just a phenomenal opportunity. I'm super excited. Where can people find you, Helen? Well, I've set up, uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm, on, well, I'm on social media. I'm Baroness New Love. Oh, this, the Mouse Now Rose is on Instagram as well, and I'm Baroness New Love is on Instagram because I'm just in the, the books of just now going to launch it. Uh, you know, either I want, you know, one-to-one -one clients uh, or a group session. I just, you know, I'm really passionate because I think like yourself, you, you don't want anybody to go through pain. And I think, I think also we rely on, we think systems are there to protect us. Yeah. And, you know, we go to professionals who do their job, but it's when they leave us, you think, hang on a minute, you're talking about my life. You don't know me from Adam. And so I think that's what these systems are, where you're going to get many people who think, I can't do this because I've been told this. Where actually, if you're getting that lever to help them just step up a bit more, um, they realise they can do so much. And it's just having real people who have gone through it and you'll see the passion, um, you'll see the pain. And they, you know, that's why I want to, to help people and women to go through that because unfortunately we don't have that. And, you know, yes, I'm in a political world, um, but actually I can't be doing with all this window dressing anymore. I want to help, you know, women uh, get in that window, dress greatly with power and walk through, get stepped down, walk out that door and say, you know what? I can do this because I have it within me to do. I love it. I absolutely love it. The now, the mouse now rules on Instagram yeah. is where we can find you. Well, I mean, you've moved me. Uh, I've learned things from you today. I know that your message will have resonated with so many of my listeners. I'm just so grateful that you gave your time today, Helen, to come and join me because you've been an absolutely fabulous guest thank you so much for joining oh, me thank you Sarah I just you know it's great that we're both two women doing you know what we've been through but we're still there 
um, and, and people think you're fine, but actually um, it's the engine within that keeps powering us to do that. And you never forget the pain, but you can create so much power um, for the good. And um, so I'm so delighted to be here talking to you and thank you for inviting me. I've had a ball myself. We could do another session, couldn't we, that we're that so you know passionate about it. But thank you. You're oh, doing thank you. this as well. It's not been easy as well. Thank you. That that means a lot. And I will definitely take you up on doing another session for sure, for sure. <laughs> thank you. That's it for today's episode. Do head on over to the Mouse Now Rules on Instagram to find out more about Helen's work and get coached by her. I can't think of anyone better to be by your side. And I look forward to you joining me next episode that's it for today's episode of heartbreak to happiness don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of sarah's virtual retreats the retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with sarah herself coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again for more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com where you can also get a copy of Sarah's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness.